This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. Fun being back on a Thursday here on Kelly and Company. Thanks for joining us, and it's always a great lineup of material every day of the week. I'm not going to single it out and say Thursday. Every single day of the week, we learn a little tech, uh, a little about each other and people and hear some stories and talk and talk and talk. And we do a little bit of listening in between as well. Brock Richardson is back. Day two of Brock and Ramya. How's it going with you, Brocky? It's going well. And I'm just, if, if somebody came on and was like, so it's going to be a light one. It's going to be not very exciting, but we hope you stick tuned. Like it would no, just be really kind of point. odd if we just, you know, if we didn't do if anything we don't but hype promote the show, our own show. yeah, it would be no, you're right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you we have a bad lineup today. But then again, you have to believe in the product to promote it, right? That's a big one. So I believe in our Thursday lineup, in today's lineup, and every lineup, you know, in the past, that uh, it's a good show, and you should tune in and check out the podcast and share it. You know what I mean? One hundred percent, I agree. This Good. show always comes at you, as does the neutral zone. I don't mean to throw my own show under the bus on no, this. No, hey, but plug, 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 plug. It, it's just, <laughs> it's, it, it's the point I've made. Like every show you listen to, it's always like great show coming to you. And I often think, well, yeah, would you say anything other than that? Yeah. yeah, just don't talk about the the stuff that you're not necessarily into. But hey, even that. I'm not going to lie to you. Even that on Kelly and Company is a great learning experience like sports. So we got a lot of sports to talk about today, I think. Um, Let's tell everyone what's coming up. Fern Lullum is sharing a story, that of Katie Shaw. This is a UK teenager with Ellis Dandros Syndrome whose journey she can relate to, she says, Fern. With Thanksgiving coming up in a few days... We learn more about toasting traditions with Catherine Vilenga and CEO of Zikova Vodka. So, very cool conversation. I love toasting and any kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. And we love talking to Catherine as well. We're learning more about Compass Club. If you haven't heard of it, it's a fully accessible tra- travel guide company in southern Ontario. And it's a n- got some neat programs up there for you to check out. So we'll learn more about that. Um, I hate telling people not to eat certain foods, but once in a while we got to let, let that in as well. Our friend Kelly McDonald sent over uh, some recalls, and this is Certain Nature's Best Brand and Zavit Shalov brand. Mozzarella cheese products. Mozzarella is so good. Anyways, don't eat this mozzarella. It's a recall due to Lysria monocytogens. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but anyway, the product is mozzarella cheese, and this is for the general public. It's a Canadian recall. So you're paying attention to your um, mozzarella brands. Stay away from this one until further notice. 
Okay, now, back to that sports I was saying that we're going to talk about. The fallout from Hockey Canada's handling of alleged sexual assaults continues to grow, and Canadian Tire is the latest top-tier sponsor to pull its support from the organization, joining TELUS, Scotiabank, Tim Hortons, and Chevrolet. Speaking to reporters in Ottawa today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said it's inconceivable that Hockey Canada continues to defend its leaders. It's not like there's something extraordinarily special about the people at Hockey Canada that means they are the only people in the country that can run an organization like this. There's lots of people who could run it, and unfortunately, the total loss of faith in that organization by everyone uh, means that there is, it's nonsensical that they be digging in their heels on this one. Let's talk about the digging in their heels and going back to the people who are pulling out, who are making statements like um, Canadian Tire and everybody else. So, Brock, you've been following this very closely. You've brought it up to us on a almost a weekly basis um, as well as the story progresses. But what do you think? I mean, are the... First, let me ask you. Do you think that the organizations, the sponsors that are pulling out and saying, uh-oh, like, shame on you, are doing enough doing the right thing are you still waiting for some of these sponsors to do more well i actually think that one of the reasons a lot of the sponsors is pulling out now is because the chair of the board andrea skinner basically said listen this is not a good uh, time to pull the plug and start from scratch Mm. and it's almost like hockey canada feels and i'm so glad justin trudeau said it but it's almost like you get that vibe that they are untouchable and nobody can touch them and they're just going to do their own thing and whatever. Well, when you have no money, Ramia, you aren't going to be able to run much of a program. And I think that's why a lot of the the sponsors kind of gave them the pass, not, not a pass, but kind of said, okay, let's see what you can learn from this experience. And then we found that second fund and everyone's just like, that's it. I'm done. And so now from that, from Andrea's testimony the fun to cover up the assault, alleged assaults, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And and it's, you know, you just you can't do that. You can't have faith in an organization to do that. And the fact that Andrea gave uh, who's leading the charge, um, Scott Smith, who's the new CEO of the uh, of Hockey Canada, he she gave him an A plus. Like that, how how do you give a guy an A plus? I get that he hasn't been in charge for a long time, but he's been behind the scenes, as I've said many times on the program. And you can't give him an A plus when you are supposed to be the voice of change. When in essence, all you did was back everybody up. Nobody has mm. faith in that whatsoever. And going back to. Um... What you said that she said, the chair said, it's not the right time. Well, that's an interesting point because when is it the right time? You know, what kind of stuff are you going to do to make sure that things have built up in a better way now, especially as you're saying, as people lose trust? So Prime Minister, going back to Justin Trudeau, is floating the idea of creating a new national body to replace Hockey Canada. Speaking in Ottawa today, Trudeau told reporters that the scandal-plagued Hockey Federation has completely lost the confidence of Canadians. 
There needs to be wholesale change. They need to do it. They need to realize that uh, if, it, if we have to create an organization, get rid of Hockey Canada and create an organization called Canada Hockey instead, um, people will look at doing that. That's pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, the point he's making is that exactly the, what you're making, Brock, which is that um, we can create something, create a replica, create what needs to be the the hockey central of Canada, and it doesn't need to be you. You know, I think that the interesting part about this and going back to government is that uh, government changes, right? You know, every so many years, different in Canada and the U.S., but at, in a couple terms, you know your government will change and it'll be based on a vote. It'll be based on what current Canadians feel is appropriate government. And create that- something create something that we can all hold on to and see as change right now we don't see any of that exactly and we don't need an ancient organization running things if stuff just doesn't work that way anymore take a break from this convo be back with the tech conversation michael fair has that after the break Join the conversation here on Kelly and Company by calling us 1-866-509-4545 and leaving us a voicemail. If you want us to play your message on air, please give us permission to do that and we would be happy to. You can also write us. Feedback at AMI.ca is our central email address for inquiries and feedback and anything that you want to add to what we've been talking about. At AMI Audio is the handle on Twitter. If you want to find us there, we're pretty active on Twitter as well. I'm Ramia Amudin here with Brock Richardson, and it's time for us to get into some technology with Michael Fair. Hi, I'm Mike Fair. iPhones, iPods, and iPads are everywhere, and they're doing great things for the blind. We explore all that, plus audio entertainment, dramas, podcasts, internet radio, and games. We share it all on Kelly and Company. Sometimes it's the little things that really, really excite us. And Michael has been on a quest for the ideal keyboard, not just any keyboard, okay, the ideal keyboard for years. And after two months of what he calls truly terrific typing, he thinks he's finally discovered it. And you're going to tell us, Mike, why this keyboard is ideal for you and for blind people who need this high-quality, sturdy, compact keyboard experience. So... Starting there, why do you think it's important for people to put thought and effort into obtaining a good keyboard uh, and one that best suits your needs? Well, keyboards are, there are so many different kinds and they really are designed for different situations. And you know, we use keyboards, some of us, for hours you know, every day. And you know, if we're spending that much time with something, it really pays off in a lot of different ways to get a really good tool that that really fits your particular needs mm-hmm. uh so in in you know in, in it that has a lot of different benefits it decreases your frustration with a keyboard that really suits you you're going to get faster typing speed if you if you're using a, a good keyboard that, that that also gives you better hand posture so these things add up uh and, and you'll have less achy hands you'll have you know you'll feel better uh using the keyboard 
So uh, it, it can all matter. Even psychologically, you know, some of the people go for these mechanical keyboards because they like the sound or, or things like that or the look. For sighted people, yeah. there's a lot of, of lighting, which doesn't do us any good. But, you know, <laughs> there are lots of different different things and different keyboards. So it, it really does pay to take some time and, and maybe spend a bit of extra money on a good keyboard that's going to last you. This keyboard has a uh, interesting name. Would you like yes. to tell us what it is? Yes, this is the Nufi, spelled N-U-P-H-Y, Air 75. Uh, it's called the Air 75 because it is a 75% keyboard. So it's it doesn't have the number pad. You get the function keys. You get all the keys that are really essential, including home end, page up, page down, uh, delete. Uh, and, and, of course, you get the function key row up top above the numbers. Uh, but you don't get the number pad, and that decreases the length uh, of the keyboard and makes it uh, more compact for travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this brand do other percentages, 50% keyboard, 100% keyboard? Well, they do um, They do have uh, a, a 60, a uh, Nufi Air 60, uh, which is their newest, uh, I believe. And it, uh, th- when you get down to that low, then now you're missing the function keys, and you, it starts to you know, you got to think: do, is the compactness worth what I'm giving up at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's kind for, of yeah, especially as for accessibility. As it gets smaller, yeah, yeah exactly. You, and then you have to use the FN key to do other combinations. Like there are a lot of changes that's more keystrokes to get used to uh, mm-hmm. in, in exchange for that compactness. So it becomes uh, diminishing returns as, as you get smaller. Kind of Maybe, thing. yeah. So what uh, about this keyboard attracted you to it? Well, there's there's a lot here. Uh, you know, better than the K, uh, Keychron K3, I started hearing videos comparing uh, this keyboard with my other favorite, the Keychron K3. And it just, the more I heard about it, the more I thought, yeah, you know, this would satisfy, this would, would quash a lot of my annoyances <laughs> with that board it's slightly longer not a lot but just a little longer and and much heavier uh this thing is it weighs about half a kilogram so it's more steady on your lap uh which is helpful it uses much better keycaps uh pbt keycaps so that is nice they don't extend above the frame uh i almost lost a couple keycaps because it got caught on the edge of a bag as i put it in and they almost came off because they, they the edges of the keycaps got caught uh, as I was trying to put it in the bag, so I like having the that the, the there's no gap between the bottom of the keycap and the frame of the keyboard. Um, standard Bluetooth is used, so I thought it would probably report the battery level to my iPhone, which is another big thing. I can't know how much charge my Keychron board has. Uh, there's no way to tell. Uh, you just have to have good charging habits and keep it plugged in. So this would solve that problem as well. Why do you think this particular keyboard is suitable for blind users? Well, it's got a lot of tactile goodness going for it here. The keys are really well aligned. So the function key, the the keys are are right above the number. So if you're reaching up to get the function key 8 to pause or resume uh, uh, in iOS, if you're playing music, uh, you will hit that F8. Uh, It's exactly above the 8. There's no, you know, some keyboards, there's a little, you have to sort of move your finger over a bit to get at that key on the top row. Uh, it's not like that with this keyboard. It's just straight up uh, with that. You have uh, tactile power and 
and selection mode switches for uh, OS selection. Uh, so on the back, there are the two uh, switches on the right side of the back of the of the keyboard, and it's easy to tell that they're there. Uh, it, they're there. You move, you slide the switches, and they tick into position. So it's very easy to tell what position they're in. Uh, you can turn off the backlighting. That's another big annoyance. You know, you have uh, backlighting that does zero good if you're totally blind. You can reduce that and gain back the power that otherwise just bleeds off generating light that you can't see. Uh, so that's kind of nice. And it does report the battery status uh, to the home widget. It's oh, also very great. sturdy. Yes, exactly. You just have to set up the Today View. Uh, in, the, in your Today View, put the battery widget in there. I have it right at the top of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it shows you all the different uh, accessory levels of your battery if it reports. So it's good to have the keyboard in there. It's aluminum. This thing is sturdy. Uh, it'll take a bash. So, you know, that's great if you're blind. You're bound to bash it eventually. <laughs> and uh, it will survive <laughs> or immediately. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's, it's great that way. And, of course, the key caps and the key switches can be replaced easily. So all of that is, is really great for blind people. Yeah, you've really been taking notes. And I do appreciate, too, not just for keyboards, but in so many circumstances, uh, we wonder, how, what's the battery level at? Because we're connecting a lot to our devices now, right? From earphones to extra battery packs to uh, the Bluetooth keyboards and so on and so forth. So having battery levels available to you is actually a, a huge accessibility factor. Now, oh, is yes. there anything blind people should note to get started easier on this keyboard yes there are a few things the fn key is the special key that lets you do a lot of the functions uh like wake and sleep mode enabling and disabling like pairing uh, the fn key is is two keys over from the space bar so you've got space bar this uh there's one key and then the next key over to the right is the fn key you hold that down and you usually hit other keys to do things like like pairing so uh, to pair is you hold down the FN key, you hit the numbers one through four, and you hold them down uh, for a little while to put it into pairing mode and uh, to hit FN and F1 like that, like a control combination. And you just hold those down. It will go into pairing mode, and then you connect the device you want to connect in that slot. So it's very simple. And then you just hit FN and the key, like one, two, or three, uh, to uh, briefly to switch between those key, those devices. So you, you can have up to four devices, uh, the including the the one that you have wired, and then three wireless ones. So it, it's great for that. Uh, you can connect stuff very easily uh, that way. The backlighting you can reduce uh, by hitting FN and down arrow, and then you can also put it into wake mode so it doesn't fall asleep after half an hour by uh, FNW. And same with uh, FNS to put it back into sleep mode if you if you want it back again. Uh, so there's the controls are really easy. Uh, the switches, um, the left switch has three positions that uh, and going from uh, left to right, uh, they are wireless on the very left, wired in the middle, and off on the right. So if it's on the very right of the three positions, you know the keyboard is fully off and you're not wasting power. On left, you have left switch has two positions. Uh, the left one is Mac and iOS, and the right one is Windows and Android. So it doesn't get much more simple than that for getting a keyboard going uh, if you're blind. It's so amazing to sit here and listen to you, you know, 
tell us in detail about this keyboard and it's it's made me intrigued and into looking into getting this because you're doing such a good job at describing it what are the physical dimensions of the actual keyboard so it's like 31 centimeters by 13 centimeters uh which is enough to give you that that's a bit over a foot in length and uh it, it fits nicely on your lap it's 60 millimeters thick so <laughs> that is not too thick uh, at all uh and the weight is about 523 grams so a little over half a kilogram that's enough to give it some heft and uh put it on your lap and it'll it'll stay steady so uh, very much approve of of their thinking on the dimensions of that mm-hmm. what kinds of key switches can you get for the keyboard do you, did you explore that yeah. part of it Yes, uh, I got uh, the brown switches. They're Gateron low profile is what they choose to use. And uh, that means the shorter key travel because the key caps are low to the keyboard. So the switches, you can get reds, which are linear. They're smooth up and down. Browns, which are tactile. That has a little bump, doesn't have any extra noise, but a little bump that tells you that you're pressing down and the key is is registered, it's pressed, you feel that little bump. And then blue clicky switches that add an extra click, uh, which I have no use for, but other people seem to like uh, when you press down on the keys. Uh, those switches are rated for 70 million clicks, so they'll last a while, and uh, you can remove them and replace them very easily. Uh, so that's a good thing uh, as, as well. I got to wonder how people get down to the number of 70 million clicks like who sits there and says well this is how many clicks i think this will will be able to tolerate it's just so fascinating it's a process of automated testing they'll do in in the labs where they build these machine these tiny little switches that you can you can remove and replace it's hot swappable so it's easy to do with the little tool it provides you crazy just to come down to 70 million how about the what about the keycaps are special mike so the keycaps are another awesome part of this keyboard. Uh, they are the thinnest uh, PBT keycaps. That's a, a process of making keys that are of a certain plastic that they, they are less likely to wear. The, the characters on them are, won't wear off as easily. And they're just sturdier. They're more durable than the ABS plastic keycaps. Uh, they have a better texture. It's kind of a, a rough texture. Uh, little, not painful rough, but just rough enough. It doesn't attract oils. And uh, it, they have shallow little dimples in the keycaps that fit your fingertips nicely. So it's just a, a nice experience typing on this board with these keycaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, battery life, you approve? Y- yes, battery life is about 48 hours, they say. That's in lab conditions. It's a 2500 MA battery. And uh, that gives you, they say, about a week of use between charges. I would never go that long without charging, but that's just me. Uh, and it depends on how bright you have the lighting. So uh, you reduce the lighting, and you get longer battery life even than, than that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been great. I haven't it's, it's exhausted it, but uh, it's, it's really held up nicely so far. Mm-hmm. Mike, we only got a couple seconds, so do you mind telling us how much the keyboard is? Yes, the, the keyboard is about 169 on Amazon, uh, in Canada at least, and you can get uh, a case with it. That's another 30, uh, 30 or 40 bucks in that range. So, uh, and it also, you can get extra switches, different switches and keycaps uh, as well. So there's a few mm-hmm. things you can get if you like. And it's, it's a really uh, excellent, excellent board. 
Well, if you've spent money trying to find the ideal keyboard before, we kind of know the investment that it is, um, especially when we're thinking complete compatibility with our devices and everything else you've mentioned. Awesome crash course. Thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, no problem. We'll see you next week for more interesting tech stuff. <laughs> yes, looking forward to it. You can find Newfi Air 75 on Amazon and on other uh, online retailers or directly from the company. And Mike will be back next week. After the break, we're checking in with UK's Fern Lellum. We'll be right back. Every day at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio, we have the podcast Roundup hosted by Jacob Shemansky and Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And it's, well, on Tuesdays, it's the neutral zone. But the uh, podcast Roundup is a fun show because you can check out little snippets and pieces of the AMI original podcasts that are out there. And since there are so many... Jacob and Nisreen do their absolute best and do an awesome job putting some of these bits and bites together. It's really fun. 11 a.m. Eastern time, minus Tuesdays. It's the Neutral Zone on Tuesdays. Check out the podcast roundup. And on Tuesdays, check out the Neutral Zone. I'm Ramia Amuthan, hosting with Brock Richardson uh, for the remainder of the week. And now let's bring on Fern Lullum from the UK. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. Our bestie's always bringing us something to take into consideration. A lot of the times, these are stories of other people with disabilities that we can learn something from. So today, Fern, we're discussing Katie Shaw. She's a UK teenager with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, because we might not be able to say that again. And we want to talk about what we can learn from her story today. Yes. So as soon as I saw Katie's story, I really wanted to share it. So, so much of it resonated with me. Um, And I I just think that lots of our listeners will be able to benefit from hearing a story like this. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to get into it and a good place to start maybe uh, understanding what EDS is. Yes, that would be a good place to start, Ramya. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, well, it's basically it's a genetic disorder that affects the connective tissue and the connective tissue is found throughout the body and it holds organs, ligaments and other structures together. So quite an important thing. And so can you elaborate a little bit on how exactly the connective tissue is impacted? Yeah, it makes it loose and fragile. So in Katie's case, it can cause things like bladder infections, joint pains, bruising, and a lot of horrible other problems like that. Okay. So when was it clear that uh, Katie had EDS since birth? Well, it wasn't clear at birth until um, she she did have some symptoms um, uh, that I've just mentioned throughout her whole life, but it wasn't right. absolutely clear that she was had EDS until she was diagnosed when she was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Was it 16 years? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And you're kind of in that part of your life where, you know, things like that can be a pretty big change at 16, you know, um, 
of age for sure. Was there something specific, Fern, that led to the diagnosis? Well, Katie says that when she was about 14, she started to feel dizzy when she had to stand up for more than a short while, so she had to sit down a lot. And Katie was later um, to learn that this was due to the condition called POTS, which is another very quite serious condition, um, and that commonly occurs in people who have EDS. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's a, it's a sub-condition. And how bad did mm. that get her symptoms? Well, very bad indeed. Katie started to faint uh, at least three times a day. Just imagine that. Oh my and gosh. she would have chest pains whenever she was standing up. So if she was standing up for any length of time, she'd get these chest pains and she'd more than likely faint. This has to have had an impact on her life, I would assume. Absolutely. So Katie had enjoyed being a swimmer when she was younger, but she, with her worsening health, she obviously just had to quit swimming. She just could not do it anymore. And the lack of exercise led to lots of muscle problems, um, a loss of muscle, in fact, which in turn caused problems with her joints. So it's kind of like a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like a bit of a downward spiral from the diagnosis onwards. Did it mean that she was too ill to go to school? Ah, well, now we come to another interesting part of the story, because despite being in lots of pain, as you can imagine, Katie continued going to school. And she said that she needed to do that because she needed a routine, um, you know, to have something to focus on. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Sometimes you just need something to get you through. Was Katie getting help with all of this um, added to her? Well, not really. Um, And she points to two main reasons for that. So firstly, she is autistic, um, and that means that it's difficult for her to interact with people when she's under stress. So obviously that caused her to find it difficult to get help. Right, of course. We know people, um, or when you have neurodiversity it's already a challenge to communicate with people on what you need or what you're feeling or any of that stuff and what was the second main reason she mentioned well this was what katie describes as the dismissive attitude of doctors um she was under some doctors at the time and they weren't very helpful jeez and what is and what does she mean by that exactly Well, instead of diagnosing EDS, her doctors said that her fainting and her other problems were due to anxiety and stress. So they said that it was uh, up to her to manage that. Um, If she wanted to get any better, you know, it was all on her, basically. There was nothing they could do. We can't make up the timing of these conversations and how one thing Uh, It can really relate to something else we've talked about on the show yesterday. We were talking about medical gaslighting and Mm -hmm. how, you know, sometimes doctors just kind of, oh, wave it off. It is what it is. Don't worry about it. Maybe you're overreacting and how people with disabilities are amongst the the largest portion of people who feel this way, that they're being gaslit medically. So it must have made, obviously, an already horrible situation even worse for Katie. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're going to believe these people because they're authority figures. Um, and, and in Katie's situation, she says that she was doing all she could to cope. But now that she had all of this and she was made to feel that her problems were all her fault, mm-hmm. um, that just made coping even more difficult, as any of us can imagine. And then just when she thought things couldn't get any worse, along came COVID. 
Right. I'm very afraid to ask the next question of how did she cope with the lockdowns? Well, by then, Katie couldn't stand for more than a few seconds and spent most of her time in bed. She says that when she did go out, she ended up in hospital because she fainted and hit her head. I mean, just imagine not being able to go out because you're scared that you're going to hit your head and end up in hospital. Exactly, where they're not even taking you seriously to begin with. So, yeah, very, very challenging times for Katie. Um, What happened next? Well, she was referred to a rheumatologist and her EDS was finally diagnosed after just one appointment. So (laughs) it didn't take long once she saw the right person. And from that, I'm interested to know, how did Katie feel about the diagnosis? Well, from what I can gather, the impact of being diagnosed with a lifelong illness was actually outweighed by the relief of knowing that it wasn't all in her head, as she'd been told previously. Mm Hmm. Uh, But unfortunately, we know that being diagnosed correctly doesn't always mean that the condition itself is improving. No, of course, that's right. And it's true of Katie's case, because soon after the diagnosis, she lost much of the movement in her arms and legs. And this was caused because the extreme stress that her brain and body had been under meant that her brain could no longer send signals to her limbs. Now, I think that just shows what she must have gone through, the fact that this had such an impact on her that her brain was no longer functioning and sending those signals out. Mm. Yeah, and she's clearly an amazing person and having the use of her limbs, you know, so badly impacted must have been so life-changing. Oh, of course, absolutely. And she was discharged from hospital as a full-time wheelchair user, so really big thing for her. You know, I can understand um, that her condition was getting progressively worse, progressively worse, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking, but now at least you know what Mm. it is you know it's eds um but you know the the responses are so gradual when with something like this we know fern when when people lose vision gradually every step is another thing you have to get used to so Mm -hmm. how does she respond to being sent home with the wheelchair permanently Well, I get a real sense of someone who just wanted to find ways of getting on with life rather than feeling sorry for herself, you know? So she just saw it as something, at least this is going to help me. What is it that convinces you of that? Well, she talks about challenging the idea that her wheelchair is a sign of being constrained. She says that she sees it more as a supporting force in her life for her independence and enabling her to be mobile, like I say, to just get on with life. Um, And it helps Mm -hmm. her to do things that she otherwise simply couldn't do. You know, that is, I guess that's the acceptance piece. You have to see that and realize that otherwise you're not going to be able to do these things anymore. And I guess from a physical standpoint alone, she was, you know, bedridden, not being able to move, not being understood by doctors, not being given any answers for anything. So from that to say, okay, now you can be mobile, as you explained, uh, is just a almost a huge sense of relief. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And she sounds extremely positive about it all. I mean, it's an incredible story. She sees herself as being in the medical profession one day and using her own experience to help patients at risk of being misdiagnosed and unsupported just like she was. So she wants to be a a doctor or something? Like, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because this, you know, her experience has made her think, I want to change this for other people. Right.
And just to be able to sort of see that and understand, you know, I now know this diagnosis. I am going to pick myself off the, the mat and want to give back to other people as a doctor. That's inspiring. And I, and I hate using that word in most contexts, but mm. it's easy for us to, to fold and say, well, we're, we're not going to do this because of this diagnosis. So it's, it's mm. refreshing to see that this kind of continues. For an earlier, you mentioned that um, you can relate to this story. Can you mm. sort of elaborate a little bit on that for us? Yeah, of course. So firstly, like Katie, doctors have given me misleading information in the past. For example, I've been told that nothing could be done to improve my eye condition and that I should just get used to the idea of losing all of my sight. And just like Katie, that caused me the, you know, avoidable stress, a lot of avoidable stress, um, because it was wrong. You know, and as you'll know, I've had lots of um, long-time listeners to the show will know that I've had lots of surgeries yeah. on my eyes to improve my sight. Um, and we should always challenge medical advice if our body and our instincts are telling us it's wrong. I think that's so important. And, and bottom line, you know, if you're not comfortable, get a second opinion, right? Like if you're really struggling with something and you feel that you're genuinely being medically gaslit, for example, um, then a second opinion doesn't hurt anybody. Are there other things that you can relate to from the story? Yeah, Katie's experience of becoming a wheelchair user is very much like my experience of becoming a guide dog owner, because just like Katie, my mobility aid has enabled me to be more independent, not taking it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just this whole story is a great story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I really think it shows the power of being resilient, even when it seems as though there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you're just, you know, in the dark and hopeless. I can certainly relate to that. And it just shows the power of focusing on what you can do rather than what you can't do. For example, she's accepted that she can't carry on with her swimming, but now she is devoting her energy and experience to becoming a doctor, which is incredible. Right, right which means, thank goodness, she ended up going to school. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And and I just want to say, if times are tough for you at the moment, anyone listening to this, I hope that this story of Katie gets better and hope that it gives you that hope that things can get better. And I think that it also shows that receiving the service that you, you need can sometimes shine a light on the opportunities to make change when, you know, either when you get the good service or when things aren't so good because it can show you the flaws. And I think Katie will honestly make an amazing doctor from everything she's learned. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think that the resilience is just through and through for this story. Um, and it is very, very motivational and aspirational. Thank you so much for sharing it, Fern. No worries. I hope you have a wonderful show. <laughs> Thank you. Fern Lullum is our friend from the UK who joins us every other Thursday with stories like this and other disability highlights. After the break, we're talking toasting traditions because Thanksgiving is just in a couple of days and maybe you're with your loved ones in person and you can clink a glass or two. We'll be right back. Are you excited for pie this weekend? Because I am. I'm not a regular pie eater. So once in a while, when the season permits it or encourages it, I guess, I love a pie. Pumpkin pie is not on my top favorite, but these days I've been, you know, indulging a little bit and trying pumpkin pie. But 
apple, any of the specialty things like cranberry. Oh, one time I had a really good something pie with cranberry in it. I don't know what it was. But, you know, chocolate, lemon meringue, just whatever. All the pies, except coconut. How about you, Brucky? Yeah, I've actually just become recently to enjoy um, pumpkin pie. And it's because uh, my worker, Catherine Batcher, who you all are familiar with, she, like, a couple of years ago, she's like, would you just try it? And I'm like, no, it's pumpkin. I don't want it. No, no, I'm not doing it. But then I tried it, and I said, okay, this is, this is, this is good. This That's is good. good. So That's good, yeah. yeah. It is yeah. good. It's not your favorite, though, then. It's not my favorite. Lemon meringue pie is my so absolute good. favorite. I know. So all well, right. well, that's. I was just gonna say, uh, do we know who we're talking to yet? Brock Richardson uh-huh. and myself, Ramia Amuthan, here on Kelly and Company. Well, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and it, joining us now to chat more about toasting and traditions is Catherine Valinga, CEO of Zerka Vodka. Catherine, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you along again. Thank you for having me today. Yes, I'm CEO of Zerkova Vodka, so I definitely know about toasting traditions. We love it. Who doesn't like a little toasting and tradition? Uh, Before we get into discussing the uh, lighter and fun stuff, we wanted to get your thoughts on everything going on in Ukraine and how you and your family are holding up. You know what, uh, Brock, it's, it, of course, it's been an extremely difficult time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we are on top of it, involved, you know, from day one. I've got family there, friends, just, you know, we, we produce in Ukraine. So it's constantly on our minds and, and in our hearts and um, in our actions. So, so you know, we're... What we found is the is is the best way to 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 really um, handle the st- the stress of it is mm-hmm. really to take those moments to be grateful to to be to be with loved ones to focus on what's happening in the present and also on you know what is the difference that we can make and what is the difference we can uniquely make and for us we just decided that the difference that we could make was through our brand and our business. And so, you know, we have, you know, we started off by donating a hundred percent of our profits um, to on our vodka sales um, to Ukrainian causes. And then that led to, you know, when we no longer had saw that we could have vodka from Ukraine to sell, we actually um, decided we, we made this bold move of bringing Ukrainian vodka making traditions here having a home here in Canada and, and doing something that was really impossible, which was, you know, bringing our master distiller, creating a vodka formulation here and creating Zirkova unity. And it is really an opportunity for Canadians to unite, make a difference, help Ukraine. And, and, and also with a product that, that they, you know, um, all the time so so mm-hmm. help us help ukraine <laughs> it's really yes absolutely you know, what, what this is all about zarkova unity that was a beautiful conversation we had with you um on the the ins and outs 
the the people, the product, the everything behind that. It was so wonderful. So I'm so glad that that's still going well and going strong. And yes, as you said, for people who can support um, in whatever capacities and using whatever platforms they can, and business is a really good one. So thank you for for revisiting that with us and for sharing, Catherine. So as you said, spending these moments with people and being thankful, it's the first year in a while that we can gather on Thanksgiving, fingers crossed, uh, with your loved ones. And how do you feel about that? You know what? I I, I think it's amazing. Honestly, I, I, I really love having people around the table. I love that energy, that that exchange. And I'm always the one that, you know, after the turkey is, is done, after the, the we've enjoyed the meal, you know, they're, they're looking to me because I'm the one that is like, let's go around the table. Let's, you know, let, let's make some, let's make some cocktails. Let's make some drinks. Let's go around the table. Let's say what we're grateful for. And it's always a, a time. And, 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 you know, we, we, we have this thing where we, where people pick a question from a hat and um, and then really talk about what they're grateful for or, or what they want to share. And it, it, people groan, but they, they love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a tradition that I take part in with my wife's family. It's very cool. It's very fun. I think you should always be thankful for things around the table. Are there any other traditions that you could highlight? Well, I... For 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 us, it's you know, of course, it's we have a family that loves you know being out in nature, that loves to go out on on walks to 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 enjoy the fall colors. So that's always a Thanksgiving tradition. Um, but also, um, you know, cooking together, and for us, um, also making you know cocktails together for the adults, of course, or mocktails. Um, so. A lot. It's it's all about who's at the table. It's all about honoring and really acknowledging the people in our lives, the people that have contributed to us, and 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 really toasting who they are and what they you know who they are. So so mm. we're very much in the moment and 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 there around the table. Amazing. Well, if people are waiting for some cocktail ideas through this conversation, uh, you came prepared. So can you share with us uh, some of this, starting with the pumpkin spice latte? Yes, right? Yeah, I was going to ask what your favorite one was. (laughs) Oh, I don't have a favorite, but I think we should start with pumpkin spice latte because that's the season of it. Yeah, yeah. It's all about, so first of all, you're taking, you know, strong brewed coffee uh, and you're just mixing it with two ounces of vodka, one ounce of pumpkin pie um, coffee creamer because you need that spice, and let's make it easy. And then you get to put your dessert topping, your whipped cream, um, whatever you want on top. Love it. Sounds so good. This next one sounds just as good. Fall Fair scented caramel apple martini delicious oh brock i love this one and it's super super easy you're just taking a martini glass and you're basically um rimming it with caramel or just kind of like putting putting some some 
caramel sauce on it um, mm-hmm. and on the inside of the glass. And just in a martini shaker, you're taking two ounces of Zirkova, uh, the, the three ounces of apple cider, and there's so many good ones to choose from. And you're just um, put in a little bit of ice, shake it, you're putting it in your shaker. It's really, really super easy. You can garnish it with a slice of apple. It's festive. It's easy. That one is probably going to be my favorite when I try it. How about the espresso yourself old fashioned? (laughs) Well, this is a a take on the old fashioned. So um, look, I I really like to, to infuse. So there's a lot of different ways to, to make vodka infusions and, um, a really easy kind of uh, espresso uh, coffee infusion is to take two tablespoons of ground espresso coffee beans. You put that into about a cup of vodka and, and, and you leave it for a couple of hours. And then you strain that and you've got an amazing base. And it really is beautiful. Um, and you're just taking two ounces of the espresso infused vodka, Tricova vodka, uh, just a quarter of a... Um, a cup of simple syrup, sorry, sorry, a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup and a couple dashes of whiskey bitter. And you can garnish with a cherry. Yum. Sounds so good. So good. All of these can be mocktails, right? Definitely. Definitely. Good to know. Uh, And this is, this is where, where people can just, you know, when you have, um, for my mocktails, I really like using, you know, the same kind of ingredients. I'm putting in some, uh, y- using some some soda water, Perrier. Like for example, with the apple cider, I would um, do something with that. Um, but the whole point with mocktails is that you want to put as much love and care into that as you do cocktails, because yes. everybody deserves to be honored. You're right. Yeah. And that's really generous of you being the, the CEO of the vodka company to be like, okay, but still enjoy your mocktails. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. How about yourselves? How are you going to be celebrating this weekend? Oh man. And we were talking about pies just a couple seconds ago. And I think for me, this season is just full of all these warm desserts. Uh, you know, during the summer, it's not as much about that, but now you can eat a lot of warm desserts, but I'm loving the, the cocktail options that you've given us, especially uh, with the, the season's feel in it. How about you, Brocky? Well, I really like the uh, salted caramel apple uh, martini. So this is one that I'm going to be listening back and saying to somebody, how can you make this or make this for me? Because it sounds really good. I want to try it. So that will be on my list. And I'm looking forward to just getting around with uh, people and being around family and friends and love it. So good stuff. Yeah. And and Brock, if you want something that's sort of a warmer um, take, you know, it's like a cool day. You've been out walking. You, you can also do a very simple mulled wine with with vodka as well and it's it's mm-hmm. you know beautiful so so there's a lot of options yes always a lot of options thank you so much uh, for joining us once again this afternoon and you've made me thirsty and i look forward to trying some of these in the not too long future thank you so much well thank you so much and i wish for both of you to have just a wonderful wonderful thanksgiving weekend and may you be 
loved and honored and appreciated and may all of that go back to your families and friends as well. Like there's so much to be grateful for, especially during difficult times, right? Thank you Mm -hmm. so much. We really appreciate it. And we send the love right back at you and we look forward to having you (laughs) on again in the future. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye now. That was Catherine Volinga, CEO of Zerkova, let me try to get that out, Vodka, talking to us about toasting, traditions, and lots of yummy cocktails. Another hour of Kelly and Company, and we're talking about Compass Club in that hour, a fully accessible travel guide. We also have a roundtable, and special guest this week is audio describer J.J. Hunt. And after the break, we have The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. Hour two is kicking off and we really like even though it's not a Friday, it really feels like we're prepping people for the Thanksgiving weekend. And honestly, you shouldn't be waiting until Friday to prep anyway. You should have been prepping all week because it's a nice time of year to gather your thoughts, gather your food and your drink and your people and get together. Show some love, as Catherine said in our last segment. It's very nice. Thanksgiving weekend in Canada is a nice, cozy time. Let's get into the buzz with Bill. This is Kelly and Company. I'm Ramia Amuthan here with Brock Richardson. And Bill Shackleton has the buzz for us Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays, uh, basically bringing us some articles that we can chat over and get some emotions in. Right, Billy? <laughs> That's Let's hope so. Let's hope it's so. It's always the case. Rarely do we not have something to say about your your picks. Well. Let's start with this one. Um, mm-hmm. How companies, how companies off sites, are changing business travel coming from the Associated Press. So here's the scenario: is it used to be that when you went on a, if you had a business meeting, you would go to an office um, or a, or a conference center. So it could be an office like uh, in in another location. Um, so if your company had two or three offices, you don't, you all would go to one office or you would go to a conference center. The, there is a growing trend now <clears throat> that companies are basically going on retreats. And what they're doing, the logic behind this is that by going on a retreat, you are go, getting out of the business sort of model, mode, environment. Um, They're calling it pleasure. So, of course, it means business and pleasure. Mm -hmm. So the idea of doing this is that it's going to get your creative juices going uh, perhaps better, getting better, growing, whatever. And, you know, when you go to a business meeting or a conference center or an office, it's you really don't get away from sort of the mentality um, you know, of 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 being of being in a business or being with your company. I mean, everybody laughs on cue. Everybody that type of thing. 
And the the idea is that you go on retreat and have fun. You could go water skiing, swimming. It's still business. It's still work. But it's a different, it's basically just a different environment. And the one of the concerns the article had was how is it going to affect conference centers? You know, these big um, multi-million dollar conference centers where, you know, they, they're, they're designed specifically for business meetings. And it's going to be interesting to see how many companies actually adopt this kind of method. I know one company that the article mentioned, um, you know, went to the Alps. Um, so, of course, you have to be able to afford these companies, uh, th these trips, but it's kind of interesting the way, the way this has changed. I actually think that when you do something like this, although, as you point out, it can get expensive and it would get expensive, yeah. but when you do something like this, it's got to do nothing but help with the morale of a company. Like, if you're going away and all kind of having fun with each other and doing things. And I, I feel like I'm singing, you know, a Kumbaya song with my words here a little bit, but it's true. I just think that it would help the office environment. If people recognize we're all human, we all love to have fun. We all love to do that. I, I just think it's a great idea. Yeah. And it's less stuffy. I mean, doing, going on a, you know, uh, the typical business meeting would be, yeah, it, I think it's, 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 it's too, this is a lot less formal and, it would also be, as I've said, I'm sure it would stimulate your creative juices. Um, you know what I mean? Your, your creativity would probably spark better. It's a way to get people wanting to socialize again, too. I'm finding that, you know, the more we don't have fun at work, like fun meaning, you know, social committees type stuff, right? Like parties and uh, gatherings and lunch and learns, like all these different things that you knew you could count on that the company would provide for you a couple times a year to uh, socialize, like just to mix and mingle and, and do something different than actually work and sit at your desk. Um, the, the less we have of that in the last couple of years, the more you're thinking, well, is it even important? Do we want to, like, is the remote party, the virtual Christmas party the same? And you might be leaning away from all that, right? And just thinking, no, this is the new life. We don't need to get to know our people at work. But these retreats drag us out, <laughs> if you will, to a, a place <laughs> mm -hmm. and a time to get to know your coworkers. Because it's true, like it states in this article that we don't even know some of the people we're working with literally because we've never met them. No, no, I and, I think it's, go ahead. And who knows where the next greatest business idea comes from? It could come from any from this conversation retreat, yeah. that you're having on the retreat. And it, and it doesn't have to be that you're having a formal business conversation of, okay, let's Let's brainstorm. It could just come out of a conversation or an activity where you're like, oh, this would be good for this and X, Y, Z. And again, I recognize that I'm really singing Kumbaya on this one and I get it, but it, it's it's true. It it just, it can stem from anywhere at any time. It'll be interesting to see, is this going to be small companies or, I mean, I'm kind of thinking that if it's an older company, they may be a little more traditional um, so the article did mention that, yeah, yeah, 
it it did mention that it the, the newer startups might be more likely to take this kind of approach for now anyway yeah well we'll see i mean it's something to adopt maybe slowly maybe once a year and it doesn't have to be so extravagant right it can be just it's a time away time away is time away yeah all right billy what else i love this one and here is something you're going to find very familiar dining in the dark russell's eateries tackle energy crunch didn't we have dining in the dark here wasn't there something around here yeah. where, where you could dine in the dark huh oh yeah Noir, yeah. um, well, talk about coming full circle. The energy crisis in Europe has sparked, of course, cons- a, a concern about the you know the rising cost of, of of gas and oil and things like this. So Brussels have come up with a brilliant idea. They had a bunch of restaurants participate in what they call dining in the dark, no stoves. No lights. I'm I'm with them there. Um, they had a bar. All they had was cooked food on a on the Japanese barbecue and cold like salads and things like this. And you sort of the, the they're they're ahead of the game. They are, you know they they, you know they're 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 already addressing. I mean, this could be a huge thing. I mean, it starts small, but you never know how many how. If if this gets really bad in Europe, are restaurants going to close or are they actually going to adopt this? Mm. And it would have been interesting to see how it actually worked. I mean, you got a bunch of people in a restaurant that they had candle lights on, on the tables, but you sort of wonder how well it went if you're sighted and all of a sudden you're you're in the dark pretty much. I, I, you know, how did I wonder how it worked out? Well, yeah, so they're be... saying that there's a lot that people are facing in the restaurant industry, in the the food industry, that we all are facing anyway, right? Like we've been talking about groceries and bills and all of this stuff and inflation, uh, but the restaurant industry is facing the exact same stuff, but they've got to feed how many people and use all these industrial machinery and energy Uh, that is a struggle man like i i can really understand that this is you know it's starting off as kind of a little bit of an initiative but it's no joke oh no it's no it's not and as i say as you say it's um um it's 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 going to be it may may be a lot bigger as as if it if it gets really worse but i think it's great i'd love to go i've gone to see how people react reacted to it yeah i just i don't know for me i have such a um a textural problem that dining in the dark would be like i i don't know why that's why i never did it when it was in toronto because i was just like yeah I'm, i'm not there but yeah i would understand the need for it for sure yeah i wonder how much beer got spilled eh or food got spilled or whatever yeah i'm sure that would be just a crime, wouldn't it, Bill? The beer oh, got spilled. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It would. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I mean, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty, you know, brutal to think about this stuff and how it can be 
It can be a romantic, uh, sweet way to deal with energy crisis now. But how are people going to feel when all they're eating is non-energy used stuff? Cold, basically, is what yeah. I'm saying. Cold. Well, and and I think I think you know as it, I mean, it's a bit of a joke right now. People are laughing at. People are having fun. But how serious is this going to get? If what are people going to? How are they really going to take to it? If this really does take off. Mm-hmm. If the energy crisis is as bad as what they predicted is, how much fun yeah. is it going to be? It's not. Yeah, it's not because I, I, it, I, we we all love, but once the um, once the novelty wears off, yeah, or the novelty of this being just a cute idea wears off, yeah. and then you start paying attention to what the, the people are actually experiencing, then it's a real problem. And once we all catch up to that notion, then it's going to be maybe. A little too late um hopefully it doesn't get there but it looks like they're really trying to state that it is yeah they are yeah all right billy gotta wrap up talk to you tomorrow talk tomorrow one more left on the table for his articles but bill shackleton will join us on friday for the buzz we're taking a break and be back with compass club this is a fully accessible travel guide based in southern ontario we're gonna find out more about it on kelly and company This is Kelly and Company. Thanks for joining us. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on weekdays. We are here on AMI-audio. And if you've uh, missed any part of today's show, first of all, we're on every eight hours. So you can check out the repeats of Kelly and Company shortly. Uh, Also, we are available on your favorite podcast platform. That you can find us as a full show or in segmented format, which I find to be much easier to share with people who you might uh, or you think might enjoy the content that you heard. I'm Ramia Amadan here with Brock Richardson, and this is Thursday. Well, Ramia, Compass Club is a fully accessible travel guide company looking to help adults with disabilities and their, make friends and have fun with daily trips around southern Ontario. Joining us now to chat more is founder, Tanya Sizer. Tanya, welcome to the program. Nice to have you along. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So let's start with the fact that you and your husband, Steve, founded the Compass Club. Where did you get the idea for this? Oh, uh, well, that's easy. I uh, worked for an agency, um, Community Living Hamilton, for many, many years. And uh, in my role there, I um, supported small groups of individuals who have intellectual disabilities uh, to attend day trips and vacations, um, as well as other, you know, um, recreation activities like crafts and bowling and movies and things like that. So, um, yeah, about five and a half years ago, we decided that this was something that I wanted to just branch off and uh, do this on my own. My husband, uh, Steve, he still works full time, but he um, he pitches in uh on his vacation days. <laughs> I kind of make him nice. do that. <laughs> of course, of yeah. course. Well, what yeah. kind of um, trips have you done? Trips and ideas of, of day out? Sure. 
Sure. Um, so we, um, we've, we've done so many things. Um, and I, I just want to say there's, you know, accessibility has, I think, improved so much in the last few years that a lot of, you know, tourist locations, they're wanting your dollars. And so, of course, they're, they're wanting to create themselves as accessible and, um, but, and, and also being inclusive and welcoming. And I think that's really a, a key um, part to to um, accessing some of these places. But um, just to name a few, just in the last uh, few weeks, we've gone to the London Air Show. Um, nice. Where, yeah, yeah, and, and that, that was a great experience. Um, I think COVID, uh, you know, has changed the way some uh, venues and attractions um, provide their, their um festivities, <laughs> if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, so for, for example, the London Air Show, they switched um, their access to being a drive-in. Um, so anyone with any kind of vehicle, whether it's accessible or just your regular minivan, uh, you can drive in, um, you're right on the tarmac, um, you can listen to the, the, um, the show through a, a spe uh, special um, radio station. And, and the, the show is taking place right over top of the cars and the buses and, and whatnot. So um, in that way, it's become, you know, quite accessible for, for anybody to participate in. Um, we've done um, boat cruises. We're, we're based in Hamilton here, so we get to go in all different directions, you know, within about an hour or so. So uh, we've accessed the um, uh, boat cruises in Niagara like the Hornblower Cruise. Um, we have one close by, the Grand River Boat Cruise, and they've been really wonderful in uh, being accessible with, with our groups. So quite often we'll have uh, individuals who uh, use walkers or uh, are wheelchair users themselves. Um, so they've been really great at getting us to pre-board um, ahead of the rest of the group. Um, uh, and then just allowing our, you know, to get seated and, and before the, the rest of the crowd comes in. So we've had wonderful experiences with them. Sounds uh, great. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think this is probably a question that's based on uh, trip by trip basis, but how mm -hmm. do you make your trips accessible? Well, like you say, it's trip by trip, but it's uh, more the individuals themselves. So um, we put out a, a, a booklet each month of uh, locations that we've found that, um, you know, would be exciting. So we do a lot of theater shows, um, but, uh, bus tours, train tours. Um, and uh, so when we're booking our tickets, we make sure that we do have a, a few that are inaccessible seating. Um, and then we we base it on who is um, you know wanting to to come on those trips. So we pick, uh, place a big focus on grouping individuals together who have uh, similar interests because that's where we want people to really um, meet others that uh, that they can become friends with. We don't you know push that, but we hope that that happens, and it does quite often. So. Um, so we want people to have similar interests. And then we also look at what their ability level is. So, um, you know, somebody with a, uh, a vision uh, impairment, we've, we've had um, really wonderful uh, experiences through the Drayton Festival Theater um, by just talking with a house manager. There was, there was a time where 
Um, we didn't know this person was, was going to come on the trip. Uh, she booked at the last minute. And then we realized our seats were a little far back, somewhere in the accessible seating, which tends to be at the back of the theater. Um, so we just contacted a house manager and we've done that um, quite a few times. And uh, they were able to have her seated along with another friend up much closer to the stage where she was able to have a, a better view of the wow. stage. Yeah, it was uh, it was really great. <clears throat> and until you you know are faced with that experience, you don't know that that's something you can do. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's something we learn for future activities. So do you have a lot of volunteers that come out through the club, or do you um, you know encourage people to bring uh, guides and uh, companions and all of that to? to make the trip more accommodating and more fun? Well, um, the funny thing is uh, I do the trips mostly myself. Um, wow. So with the individuals that come, um, most are, are able-bodied and um, they may just have a, a learning disability or intellectual disability. And so um, as a PSW, uh, I would you know provide that support to the individuals who do come. And our groups are just small. So we have um, a nine-seater bus. Um, and uh, we, we also try to remove the barrier of transportation and, and getting to a location. And so I drive around to pick each person up from their home. We do the, the trip. And then we come back and drive every, or drop everybody off as well. Right. But um, in terms of volunteers, I do get offers a lot, <laughs> usually from family members and uh you know, people who are just seeing how much fun we're having and wanting to join in. Right. Um, so we, we do have people come uh, to help wherever we can. Yeah. What's the length of the day for you? Like from uh, pick up to drop off to the whole day or does it depend mm -hmm. on the trip? Yeah, it depends on the trip. So if we're heading out of town, that could be uh, about an eight hour day. Um you know, uh, it takes about an hour to, to pick people up. Um, uh, and then, so if we're going to Niagara Falls, I might start picking people up around nine and then we're on the road by 10 and we factor in some bathroom breaks and, and this and that. And depending on where we're going, we stop for lunch or if lunch is included in the venue, like quite often we find ourselves um, in Niagara Falls for the Greg Fru and Magic Show, uh, where lunch is included there. Um, and so we'll we'll have lunch and a show together, uh, and then we're back on the road usually by three or four o'clock, and having everybody home by five. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a it's a, a good long day out though. It's uh, a long day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a long but fun and but fun, day. yeah, yeah, and enjoyable, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What type of feedback have you been given, um, you know, with the individuals who come on the trips or volunteers or, as you said, people who see that you guys are having an awesome time? Right. We we get a lot of really wonderful feedback, um, a lot from the individuals themselves that come. Um, they they see what we're trying to do, uh, which is to help people make friends um, and have fun. And that's that's really what's what ends up happening on our bus. Um, we we kind of have somebody play DJ on the bus. So, you know, everybody kind of can yell out a, a song that they want to hear and it, it comes over the stereo and everybody's singing along. And so we have a really great atmosphere um, on the tour bus, you know, coming and going. And quite often it's not just the activity of what it is that we're 
doing, you know, it's not the actual theater, it's the off times and, uh, of when you make those friends. And so, um, yeah, we hear it all the time that, um, you know, people are starting to, to call each other outside of the club. So uh, we call ourselves Compass Club Tours. Um, but yeah, people are um, having those connections uh, and we hear from their family, of course, too, you know, how much they're looking forward to their next trip with us. And, um, and they look forward to the booklet coming out each month too. So it's something that they can pick and choose uh, for what, what interests them. Is there any thought of expanding possibly across the country? Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that would be, um, I, I, I'm not personally ready for that myself, but uh, definitely the demand is there um, because we are always uh, unfortunately having to turn people away. So um, yeah, this is definitely something that could could expand easily but um yeah we just haven't put our minds to thinking that far yet what do you find is uh you would say one of the most rewarding parts or the reward for you running this group and doing what you do um i think it's the the laughter and the friendship part um that's the most rewarding um there's also a good component of, um, you know, helping people to face some fears, you know, sometimes they'll sign up for a, a trip that they didn't really um, have a full understanding of what it was they were coming to. And so, you know, for one example, we had um, a gentleman who just didn't like the idea of getting on a boat, uh, but we went, had gone to the African Lion Safari um, and there was a, a pontoon boat ride that you can take around a, a small little island there and to be able to see more. And um, he wasn't prepared for that, but uh, just with a little, you know, uh, <laughs> coaching or, you know, just some friendly words and the rest of the group. So not just myself, but but his new new friends are saying, oh, you know, come on, it's easy. You just have to easy step on. And he did. And when, when he got off the boat, he was just all smiles that uh, he didn't know why he hadn't done it before. So, um, I really love being able to provide opportunities like that for people. Um, uh, we haven't done large trips in a while, so I'm meaning overnight trips, but we we have done trips to uh, Florida. We've done a lot of Florida vacations. Uh, and so, so for some people, um, they haven't had the opportunity to just get on an airplane. Uh, and so that's quite an experience yeah. for people. Yeah. So, Sounds so good. So great, for sure. And I it love the story of someone conquering their fears. I love that. Yeah. Where can we yeah. learn more? Uh, we have a, a website, compassclub.ca. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And it's such uh, such great work you do. As somebody who is uh, wheelchair-bound, I really appreciate programs like this. And without people like you, there's people who can't get out in the community. So love the work you do. And uh, Hope to have you on again in the future to hear about more of what you're up to. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you. That, you're welcome. That was Tanya Sizer, founder of Compass Club, talking to us about her fully accessible travel guide company.
It's a really uh, wonderful initiative. And I do appreciate, like you were saying, Brock, the examples of individuals who were like, mm, I don't know, but with the encouragement and community support, uh, they they felt like they could try something new. That's always wonderful. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell you how many times in my life with my respite workers and things like that, I've tried something just because mm-hmm. I got a little extra nudge from them to do so. Exactly. And you know someone's going to be there for you. We're going to take a break and come back with our roundtable because it is a Thursday. Joining us is audio describer JJ Hunt. We'll be back. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually oval. Just say yeah, it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Well, we were taking a crack at how much we've memorized the round table intro, and I think we did a pretty good job, Rocky. We did. We missed a little Kelly. bit, but just a but little. Just, just a little. It was good. It was good. I, Your imitation of I, Kelly I will, was on par. Absolutely. I will. Tremendous. I will admit this to the rest of the audience that I did admit to Romeo that sometimes I find myself at home, even when I'm not there on the round table, repeating it back. It's just, yeah. I don't know why. But He's obsessed with the show, guys. What can we say? <laughs> Maybe. And we appreciate anyway. it. We totally we, appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Don't we have a guest to bring on now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'll take this opportunity to lay off you and <laughs> move on to the round table. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, every week um, with the fun and giggles, we also get into some really interesting conversations on a variety of subjects handpicked by the host, which is me today. And we're joined by the host of this week's roundtable, audio describer JJ Hunt. JJ, I know you didn't memorize the roundtable music, but how are you? <laughs> I am well. How are you doing, my friend? Doing amazing. Thank you for joining us. You're spending a little bit of time with us on the roundtable, but I do want to get to some things that you're up to before we get to some of these fun topics, which is that you're spending a couple Saturdays with the uh, Blind Low Vision community here in Toronto hosting some tours. So tell us about the first one, which is uh, not this Saturday, next Saturday, October 15th, if I got that right. Yeah, the, the, we're going to be doing a, a a walk of Little India. We're doing a a, a, a like a, a described kind of you know just walk of the neighborhood. And this is something that I started to do in the before times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I you know d- I'd done a few uh, um, Yorkville and the annex and the waterfront, and I really enjoy just kind of getting out into the streets, looking at what's interesting, what's going on with our infrastructure and our history and our buildings and doing a little bit of people watching and and hanging out with the community, hanging out with my friends and getting to walk around and explore the city together. So I'm really excited to be going to Little India. Uh, and we're go- so we're going to be on Gerard Street East. We're going to be checking out some of the shops and the smells and the food and talking about the history of the neighborhood. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, and I'm so bummed to be missing this one. But I'm curious, do you take, how casual are these walking tours? Do you take questions? Do people chit chat along the way? Or do you have an agenda that you like to keep it uh, into in a time frame? It's a little bit of both. So I have a pretty set 
you know, set route. I've got some specific points and places that I want to go to because I, I usually try and find a story. What's the through line? You know, what is the thing about this neighborhood that makes it interesting, that makes it unique? And so I've got specific places along the way that I've 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 looked up the history of and I've and, and I've I've studied some of the buildings so that I, you know, I can get my terminology right and I can get my names and dates right. Um, but then along the way, who knows what we encounter, right? Like mm-hmm. whenever you're on one of these things, life happens. This is an this is a, an engaging city. And so you never know what's going to happen. And and I am definitely open for questions as we go. Um, you know, I, I remember doing a walk one time and someone said, I'm shuffling my feet a lot on this uh, on the sidewalk here. What are all these bumps? I'm like, well, let's talk about chewed gum residue and <laughs> having a whole conversation about what it looks like on downtown streets when everyone Jeez. spits out their gum and it never goes away. And that's just that is very much a part of the city. And I'm happy to have those kinds of those wow. things pop up, you know, because because, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of the big and the small, you know, it, it, it the huge cathedrals need to be described. But as far as I'm concerned, the mailboxes need to be described, right. too. All of this stuff is, uh, it you know, makes up the the visual landscape, and I and I'm I'm a big fan of of talking about all of it. The chewed gum. I've honestly never, I've never heard about this. Thank you for educating us right here, right now. Wow. Okay. And then on October 22nd, so the, the next weekend following, you're doing a ghost tour. This one, I I'm on air declaring I will be at. So tell us about this. Awesome. Yeah. So this ghost walk, I I did the first one in 2018. And I think then I'm not sure if anyone else is doing one now, but I think it was the first ever described ghost walk. And basically, I, you know, I looked through the, the, the history books and I, and there are some blogs and, you know, online resources for people sharing ghost stories. And I found about a half dozen fantastic ghost stories from Toronto's history um, and kind of wove them in, you know, made sure that I was figuring out ways to tell those stories with a, with a blind low vision audience in mind. So we can talk not only about, um, you know, the stories and the history, but we can weave in a little bit of dis- uh, description. I can, I bring with me some, uh, some audio. I bring with me some tactile elements, wow. you know, we tell the story of the last hanging in Toronto and I pass around a noose that I actually made using thick hemp rope so that visitors, guests can, can hold on to it and smell the natural fibers. It, it just, you know, kind of transforms the story a little bit. So it's, again, it's part history, part ghost story, and uh, and part the audio description all kind of woven in together. I love the ghost tour. I'm so happy to be doing it again this year. Oh, man. it! I'm telling you, the written... Um intro to RSVP to the ghost tour does just not do it justice to what you just described (laughs) that the tour is going to be like I'm so excited and thank you for sharing I really appreciate that you uh came on and and that you've shared all these bits and details of the tour so now let's get to uh some of these roundtable conversation pieces I've picked out for you starting with a new study that finds shift workers will be healthier if they limit what they eat It's not just what you eat, but when you eat that could have a major impact on your health if you're a shift worker. Researchers from the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in California looked at firefighters who worked 24-hour shifts. They found eating meals within a 10-hour period can reduce blood pressure and bad cholesterol, 
Previous research has shown shift work can disrupt your circadian rhythm, making workers more prone to heart disease, cancer, and type 2 diabetes. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. Okay, so I'm going to come to you first, Brocky, with this question, because we know one day there's a study this, then the next day there's a study that, and the this and that are complete opposites, and we hear this about coffee, drinking coffee, about all kinds of things. So do you find, when you hear something like this, are you leaning towards, oh, wow, you know, that makes a lot of sense? Or are you thinking, yeah, right, is this just some kind of take on another diet or another kind of food culture thing that's good today and bad tomorrow? Where are you with this? I am sort of in the middle. I I like what I hear there. I think there is some some truth to that. But I do think that we get some needing to be cautious with this because as you rightfully point out next week there's going to be a study that directly you know uh, directly says no to that study right and so that's that's the challenge i do know that shift work is is tough on people it's tough on the body all around so i do see there's some merit to what we just heard but um be cautious again with everything mm-hmm. you hear. Well, when they say eat within a 10 hour window, that's basically intermittent fasting, right? And we know intermittent fasting is one of these things, um, like other kind of diet and fasting food lifestyle opportunities, if you will. But I'm curious, JJ, do you find that fasting is talked about normally? Like we know that there's fasting. It's around. It's been around cultural, religious practices, uh, lots of different ways that people implement fasting into their lifestyles. But it's not necessarily encouraged like with our uh, our family doctors, right? So I'm curious if you think that this falls into a bit of an encouragement of fasting. Yeah, it, it, it certainly could. You know, intermittent fasting is, is I don't know if it's, if it's a fad. There have been versions of fasting, yeah. religious and otherwise, that have been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and I, you know, I can imagine there being benefits to some of them. I don't know. For me personally, I'm more into intermittent feasting than intermittent <laughs> fasting. That's, that's more my style. All day feasting. <laughs> You're speaking my language too. Speaking my language. <laughs> but I, I have to agree. You know, I think this is one of those things that's like, I, there's some logic to this idea that, you know, the way you eat uh, has an effect on, uh, you know, if you're if you're doing shift work and you're up all night and you're eating at different times, of course, your body's get, that's going to mess with your body. How it mm-hmm. messes with it, if it's a if it's a, a profound impact or a minor impact, that's probably where you know we're in that gray area there. Where maybe it's a big deal, maybe not. It's it's not a big deal. Maybe we should be having butter. Maybe we should be having margarine. Like I don't know. It like these things go. They come and go. I remember my exactly. fridge getting through the eighties. Everything out, and oh, everything back in. You know, it just happens over <laughs> and over again. So I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, uh-huh, go ahead. The thing is that I think, and this may be a bit of an obvious statement. I think what they're trying to get at with a study like that is they don't want you eating on shift work or anywhere for that matter. They don't want you eating every thirty minutes. You know, deep fried chicken you know like that that's the thing is that they yeah. want you to be aware of what it is you're eating and I, and again as i said it, it's kind of an obvious statement but i do think that's where they're leaning is especially mm-hmm. if you're on shift work because everything else is so out of whack 
you just kind of have to be cautious of what it yeah. is you're eating and when and how. But then it's a if you're thinking of it that way, it's a pretty bold rule to state to say, you know, eat within a 10 hour time period. Yeah. Right. Because what if you are a healthy eater? And it is it's something interesting that I find like they set the rule. And then in the next couple of, you know, in the next bit of time, they'll set exceptions to the rule. And then before you know it, there's more exceptions than there is rules. So then, you know, are we following this? Are we not? Right. Kind of like That's what you're right. saying. For sure. Yeah. And and it's true. Like different people's bodies respond in different ways. Like I, I certainly know if I operate and, and this happens far too often, if I operate by keeping my personal tank full at all times, I am not in good shape because my body is constantly trying to process all of the food mm. that I have on board. If I let the tank empty and then refill, then my bot that rhythm is a little bit healthier. My body is a little bit happier. But I'm sure there mm. are some people who are like, I can't let the tank go b- below half. Like exactly. then I then I start getting low sugar. I start getting this issue. This exactly. there's so many different people with with you know different relationships with food and different different health needs these kind of one stop you know the one rule for everyone eh, i don't know i'm not sure how how helpful that is ultimately exactly that is the question how helpful is the study at the end of the day guys one other thing to talk about regarding food is best before labels they're becoming under scrutiny (laughs) as concerns about food waste grow around the world and manufacturers have uh, used these labels for decades to estimate peak freshness but best before labels have nothing to do with safety and some worry that they encourage consumers to throw away food that's perfectly fine to eat. Grocery store shopper Kevin Morrow says that expiration dates on food is a good idea. Let's hear. It gives me a sense of an understanding of the timeline for the food and so I'm more aware of what's happening with the food based on getting closer to that date. Okay, Kevin. So some U.S. chains, including Walmart, have shifted their store brands to standardize best if used by and used by labels. So, A, do you guys check best before dates? Uh, J, JJ. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do, but I, I mean, I, I, I check them and then I, then the sniff test is far more important. <laughs> the date's one thing, but how it smells is far more important to me. Okay, and how about you, Brocky? Do you pay attention to the dates? The best before date is exactly what it says. Best before it does not mean that it is automatically expired. Use your <laughs> senses, as as JJ has eloquently pointed out. And if we all say in that clip, as the guy did, you know, it it it's just a guideline. The problem is, is people look at it, and as soon as they see that it's the best before date is gone past it's like as soon as you touch it it's like oh get it out of my hands it's expired well (laughs) no it doesn't quite go that far and i'll be honest and say i i've caught myself many times you know um saying to somebody who's helping me oh if it says best before but what i mean when i say best before is if it's expired so i have to change my yeah language because what best before means and expiration date are two very different things and and use your senses and understand if it doesn't look, smell, or anything in between, then then <laughs> chuck it. But don't just chuck it based on the label. That's yeah. And the chucking apart brings me to the, the follow up question, which is, you know, 
do we meal plan or do we just buy stuff and then go, oh, got to toss this, it's out. Got to toss that, it's out. You know, you can really avoid a lot of this by meal planning for the week. Now, how often do we do that, JJ? Yes, that's a really good question. So we actually, my wife and I just had this conversation last night. I've got two teenagers and they're doing more food prep and cooking for themselves. And because they're older, my wife and I are going out independently together. So there's a different, we have a, a slightly different food system in our house now than we had in the past. And in the past, we would get a food box delivered every week, the good food box, lots of fruits and veg that would come into our house in a big box, big box once a week. It's been fantastic. But the kids aren't cooking with the big, huge cabbage. They are not taking that head of cauliflower and making a nice stir fry for themselves. They're just not Mm. doing it. And so we're going to, we're going to have to, we don't plan meal to meal, but we kind of, you know, we think what's in the fridge and we need to use that. And now it's getting harder and harder to use the food that we have been getting that, you know, that we're used to because two or three nights a week, it's not you know, it's not one of the adults who's making a nice balanced meal. It's one of the kids who's like mac and cheese again. It's like, yeah, but look, doesn't that cauliflower look like it's it's on its way right. out? Shouldn't we use it? No, grilled cheese. <laughs> and like, oh man, you know. So we're gonna I have know. to shift the way we buy our food because of the way our kids are consuming it. So for us, it's not so much meal by meal planning, but it's you know more you know one fridge at a time, one you know one week at a time. Right. And they say this with budgeting, right? Like with your money, you should so often check your system and see if it still works for you. I feel like that's a really great sentiment for food as well. Just because you've been doing it this way, even seasonally, just because we did it this way during the summer, right? Every week, I know I'm going to want a salad. I know I'm going to be putting all these fruit in my smoothies. Now September hits, it's cold all of a sudden. I'm like, meh. Does it looks better in a soup? I think I should go buy the soup stuff now. And it's, it's, it requires some reassessing. But then again, guys, there is the other side of the spectrum. My dad has come to me with more stomach aches than I can uh, it can really put my finger on to be like, yeah, I shouldn't have eaten that. And I'm like, but it didn't look like you should eat it. It was gone bad. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that should have been thrown out last week, dad. JJ, thank you so much for joining us on the roundtable. Always a fun time with you. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay, good luck with the tours. JJ Hunt is the audio describer who joined us today on our roundtable. And he, uh, you can check him out pretty much everywhere. If you live in the GTA, he's got some stuff coming up that he talked about earlier on. And you can revisit that conversation. Taking a break, be right back with tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown Tease and a tease for tomorrow's Kelly and Company episode. It's Kelly and Company, and we're wrapping up the show here in a moment. We won't leave you high and dry, though. We're going to send you some things to think about. If you want to revisit some conversations that we had today and want to check it out on a podcast, that's a great way of listening because you can speed it up if you want to. You can listen to more than one conversation at a time. You can pause. You can play. And, uh, of course, use your favorite podcast platform and listen to it anytime you want. Brock, I'll come to you first with a highlight. 
Wow, listening to more than one conversation at the same time, that would be quite the feat if no, that's what you do. I didn't mean simultaneously. Uh, I just meant one after okay. the other. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait, wait. My mind but is just like blown too. over here. Like One ear, this segment, one ear, another segment. My God. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, a segment that you can uh, you can go back and and listen to is we were talking to Tanya Steiser, who is the founder of uh, the Compass Club, and she was talking to us about her fully accessible travel guide and company, and uh, it was really great. And I said during the segment that I really appreciate what she's doing, and just the thought of that she can have you know nine individuals with her at one time is amazing and just giving people these experiences is something that I really appreciate I was lucky enough to have a lot of uh, workers and respite individuals who did a lot of the same but we never took nine individuals so for what she's doing I give her an extra set of kudos because it was a great conversation Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And speaking of relatability, uh, we spoke to Fern Lullum from the UK about Katie, who has EDS and the, the condition, you know, progressed so much uh, and so rapidly. The diagnosis was a big deal, but then other things following that was a big deal for Katie as well. And she's been sharing her story and Fern Lullum uh, brought that to us. The the thing that I, I really took away from that is resilience and how much focusing on something that you want um, can really overpower in a good way uh, the, the, the goals that you have for yourself, the determination that you bring to the table and say, I'm sorry, I just I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to school. I'm doing what I need to do. And all of these things that are happening are just uh, they're they're not there. There's something else. So it was it was a lot of encouragement there, and I appreciate that Fern brought that to us. Now let's move to tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Paul Daniel is one of the producers, and he's here to preview it for us. Thank you, Paul. Hello, Ramya. For the record, I have heard podcasts more than once at the same time. I've done that. It's like a... Did you? So, you know, oh, oh, yeah. You're oh, yeah. Skilled. So like, wow. No, 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 it's, like Glenn Gould, it's like a Glenn Gould album playing five, six different sounds at one time. People talking at the same time. It's quite, it's quite impressive. Of course, I, of course, you wonder. And can you retain after. all that, Paul? Like, uh, can you retain all that? <laughs> well, one yeah, two I, was... Well, I was going to say we'll bring you back in for a, a tutorial, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I love to do a tutorial. It'd be a fun tutorial, if nothing else. Okay. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow's show, the Friday news panel will convene as Joyda Gupta and journalist Michelle McQuig join Mike Ross, filling in with Dave Brown to talk about some of the big issues of the week, including this month is, as we all know, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And mm-hmm. the panel will do a deep dive on the barriers facing people with disabilities in finding work and what government, the private sector, should do should be doing to remove those barriers. It's an ongoing situation, and uh, it seems we, we talk about this, and it's still there. Entertainment yes. critic Michael McNeely reviews a true life drama, Breaking, and Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will give us her recommendations from the Celia Collection that are all about mental health, which is appropriate as Monday, uh, sorry, October 10th is World Mental Health Day. Amazing. Thank you so much, Paul. I love that you guys have the news panel on Fridays. It just gives you a nice way to wrap up the week of news. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care, Amir. Take care. Paul Daniel, one of the producers on Now with Dave Brown, which you can catch on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. Eastern Time with 
Dave Brown. Is he actually there tomorrow? I don't know. It might be Mike Ross hosting. Can't remember, but it, the show will still be there and it's going to be a good time. Rocky, we'll catch you back tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. Thank you. Indeed you will. You're welcome. Friday's edition of Kelly and Company includes the app update with John Beeler, and he's going to talk about Deezer, which now can identify when I hum a song. Finally, I've been waiting all day for this one. Thunderbait Superior North MPP Lisa Vojoli participated in the social assistance diet. This is interesting. We'll learn more about it with Karen McGee. And the audiobook called Kiss and Tell is co-produced by Kevin Hart, and it's making a lot of trends in the audiobook world. So Ryan, who is going to tell us more, he loves it on the chatty bookshelf. Lots more to come on tomorrow's Friday edition of Kelly and Company to help you uh, kick open the gateway to your weekend, and that being a long weekend. Talk soon. Talk then at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Have a good rest of your Thursday afternoon. stir the pot a little bit i thought i would share an experience with you regarding the e-scooter yes i said it so we know we know the kinds of struggles and challenges we have with having e-scooters all over the place and that it's not accessible to leave them lying around and i don't have to go into much more detail because people of the disability community we are all on the same page please stop lying your e-scooters around everywhere but here's the thing Similar to driving and go-karting and or getting on a train or skydiving, there is an amazing feeling of adrenaline, of moving quickly, of just having that wind in your face that the e-scooters share with everything else that we love about that feeling. And I had the opportunity to get on an e-scooter with a friend, a sighted friend, and go pretty fast in a pretty open area. And it was amazing. So on the same hand of understanding that e-scooters are not great for our cities and not great for the way that they're being handled in other places where they're just being dropped all over the place. And then the argument of, well, isn't it great for transportation and it's electric and all these other things to the the pros and cons of e-scooters and us with our disability community's opinions of why it's dangerous, to say the least, to have them everywhere. I just wanted to put in one thing about how fun it is to be on an e-scooter and I got to experience that and I would not take it back and if I had the opportunity again I would take it because a I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie junkie and b everyone knows what that feeling is everyone knows if you've had it you know it how it feels to freely move 
and move fast and feel that wind and get excited. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.